Again, hello and thanks for being with us at Crossview this morning, whether you're online, Howard Drive, Rosa Parks. Uh, we're glad that you are worshiping with us wherever you are this morning. We're in a series on Romans where for the last couple of months we've been walking from Romans 12 to the end of the book. And we have this week and one more week and then we'll be done of the book of Romans. I was in a conversation this week and it's a conversation that I've had a number of times over my 25 years as a pastor. I was talking to somebody who lives in another place and they were looking for a church. And they were talking about the things that they were looking for in a new church. They talked about the music, they talked about the preaching as those two sort of key things that they were looking for. And I remembered a 2016 Pew study that was done around what do people look for when they're looking for a church. And it's going to be on the screen here, but they list the top things that people look for as quality of sermons, feeling welcomed, style of service, traditional, contemporary, uh, location, next-gen ministries, are there good kid, kids' ministries, um, do, do they have family at the church, are there relationships that are already there, and volunteer opportunities. And it's interesting, all of those are good things, and I would say they're, they're fairly important things, but it got me to thinking about why we exist. It feels like if that's just what the church does, on some level, we're just a dispenser of religious goods trying to make people happy. And again, not that they're not good things, but there's got to be a deeper reason as to why I would choose a church or why go to church or why the church exists. And I started thinking, has anybody ever asked me, why does Crossview, why does the church you pastor, why, do, why does it exist? What's, what's at the heart of why you are around? Because at the end of the day, that's the most important thing. These other things are important, and hopefully they support the why, but the why is the most important. And if you go into Scripture, <clears throat> I'll give you a quick overview before we jump into Romans 15, 23 to 33. But if you go to Scripture, right after Jesus rose from the dead, so he's lived this amazing life, showing them what his kingdom would look like. He's died for the sins of the world. He's risen, defeated death. Right after that, he's with his disciples, and he gives them their mission. Because shortly, a few days later, about 40 days later, he's going to ascend to the Father. And it says, he said to them, go and make disciples of all nations. Didn't talk anything about that list that we mentioned there. But he says, here's what I want you to do. Here's why you are going to exist. When I go away, here's why you're going to exist. Go and make disciples of all nations. And if you jump over to the beginning of Acts, which is, which is a book in the Bible that is about the early church, in that 40 days, Jesus did two things. It says that he taught continuously about the kingdom of God. In other words, words what life look, looked like when Jesus was in charge, when Jesus was king. And then he says, and you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth, that they would witness to everything that they had seen Jesus do to his life and his death and his resurrection. That's why the church exists, that we would do that. And if you look at the bigger, bigger sort of story of God, that's the story of God. Genesis 1 and 2, creation was the overflow of the triune love, the love of the, God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Out of that love came creation. There was this mission sort of at the heart of who God is. In Genesis 12, after the fall, we have Abraham. And God comes to Abraham. I'm, he goes, I'm going to bless you and you're going to be a blessing to the nations. There's always this, this sort of 
witnessing outward flow of who God is. And that's why Jesus came. John 1, Jesus comes, God moves into the neighborhood to bring us back to God, to reconcile us back to God. That's who Jesus is. The end of the story is, is, is sort of the heart of it too. Things are made right. God is with his people. And so you see in scripture and the mission of the church, is, it's this outward focus reality that we are sharing God's love with those around us. So with that said, with that sort of the context of why we exist, let me pray before we jump into uh, Romans 15. Father, we pray that you would speak. Lord, that you would um, help us understand your word. Help us understand who we are supposed to be, what the church is supposed to be. The, the heart of Paul that we're going to see a little bit today, that we saw last week around his passion for the gospel, Lord, that we would get it. That we would get on board with it. That it would become the defining reality of who we are. So pray that you would speak. In Jesus' name, amen. Romans 15, starting in verse 23, it says this. But now... So that gives us a little context that we have to look back a little bit. If you were here with us last week, we talked about the gospel. Paul's passion that people would come to follow Jesus Christ, that they would experience forgiveness, that they would choose the leadership of Jesus Christ. He says, but now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions. So Paul's perspective is the good news has been shared in Asia Minor. Churches have started in all of these cities. Now he's saying, I've done my work here. Now I've got to do something else. And since I've been longing for many years to visit you, he's never actually been in Rome. I plan to do so when I go to Spain. He's going to drop by Rome when he goes to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there after I've enjoyed your company for a while. That word assist, and some of, the, some of this language is really important, and it's going to help us understand how we can support and be about the mission of God and the mission of their church. That word assist, assist it, it means support. It implies financial support, possibly even sending companions with Paul. The idea is that the church in Rome would go from fighting against each other, and that's the context of Rome is Jewish Christians, Roman Christians are fighting. Who's in charge? Who has the power? And Paul's giving them a different perspective that you would turn from fighting amongst each other and actually be about the mission of the church. Verse 25 says this. Now, however, I'm on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the Lord's people there. For Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution, financial contribution, that word means, for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. This is talked about in 2 Corinthians 8. Paul talks about the church. It says this in verses 1 and 2. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian church. And studies show that the Macedonian church was very poor. He says, in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. They gave above and beyond, even though they had very, very little. And the church in Jerusalem probably wondering, why is it poor? What it most likely, uh, scholars tell us, most likely it happened is... If you look at the beginning of Acts, they had pooled all their money together. This early Christian community had a bit of almost a communal feel to it. So they'd pooled everything together and then a famine had hit. And so they had lost everything. They needed food. They needed money to get food to eat. And so the other churches are helping out. Now it says in verse 27, And they were pleased to do it. And indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles had shared in the Jewish spiritual blessing, they owe it to the Jews to share with them in their material blessing. And Paul's simply reminding them God's story started with the Jews, but it's meant for all. 
that it's, it, it sort of brings them equally to the foot of the cross. That's what Romans 1 through 11 has been arguing. It's, this passage is a little weird. You know, Paul says, sort of says, you're on a level playing field, but also Gentiles remember that it started with the Jews. It's, it's, it's a little interesting. Verse 28. So after I've completed this task and have made sure that they have received this contribution, I will go to Spain and visit you on the way. I know that when I come to you, I will come in full measure of the blessing of Christ. I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle. It gives us, like, doing what Paul is doing. Paul's going to start, but starting new churches, it's hard. It's hard work to join my struggle by praying to God for me. So Paul's inviting them to join the mission. Pray that I may be kept safe from the unbelievers. And why the safety thing is simply he's traveling across the Roman Empire. And some roads are safe, some aren't safe. He's preaching a message that Jesus is king, and there's a, a certain unsafe reality to that. Say that pray that he'll be kept safe from unbelievers in Judea, and that the contribution I take to Jerusalem may be favorably received by the Lord's people there, so that I may come to you with joy by God's will and in your company to be refreshed. Verse 33, the God of peace be with you all. Amen. I love that last verse. But if you look at what we talked about last week and this week, Paul's simply saying this. He's talking about his mission. His mission is that all people groups would know God, that he could share Christ in every place he goes, that, they, that he could make disciples like we talked about at the beginning. A disciple simply means a follower, someone who is a lifelong learner, of Jesus Christ. He wants to start churches all over the world to share the hope and love of Christ in Asia Minor, head to Spain, wherever it might be. That's what he said in verse 20 of chapter 15 that we talked about last week. He says, it had always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on somebody else's foundation. The question is, why is Paul telling them this? In this book of Romans where for 11 chapters it's all about the gospel that brings Jews and Gentiles equally together. That's what the good news does, that it restores us to Christ, but also it restores these two ethnic groups that were warring, fighting. Warring's probably overstated against each other. Why is Paul telling this? I think part of it is exactly that. The Roman Christians are fighting. And if Paul is saying, if you can focus on sharing the good news, not what makes you different, not where you disagree, if you can focus on sharing the good news, it'll actually, actually help with some of that strife. At the end of the day, he's saying, if you really believe the good news, verse, chapters 1 through 11, and the good news is making you into a different person, chapters 12 through 14, things like praying for your enemy, overcoming evil with good, using your, all that stuff he talked about. If you can do all of that, then the focus will become the mission. And it's the same today. I get to interact with a lot of pastors. And one of the things that is true time after time after time after time, unhealthy churches have lost sight of their mission. Every time. A church that is unhealthy has lost sight of the mission. They're fighting over something on the periphery. They're arguing over what colors needs to be, the carpet, whatever it might be. <coughs> They've lost sight of the mission. They start to focus on other things. And some of them can be good. Some of them aren't good. Some of it can be good. At Crossview, we say this. Our mission is this. It'll be on the screen. Our mission is connect people to Jesus so they can connect Jesus to their world. And both parts of that are important. 
I think sometimes there's churches who simply focus on the first part, connecting people to Jesus, and they forget that making disciples is about sending people out into the world who are going to make a difference in the world around them. Connecting people to Jesus so they can connect Jesus to their world. Anything that doesn't support that should not get our energy as a church. So I want to give you two things, two very practical things to think about. And this is more, a lot of the sermons we've been preaching have, have had a bit of a go and do this type of feel. This is a little bit more uh, think about it. I think one is a reminder from the text. It's this, the reminder is the mission of the church. That's what Paul was about. It's why we have a church today is Paul traveled the Roman Empire starting new churches. The mission of every church, the mission of every denomination should be starting new churches. That's how the, that's how the church started. It's how the church continues. I came here from a mainline church, a great mainline church in the Presbyterian tradition. And a few years before I, I left, they had been in conversations around whether to stay in the denomination or not. But one of the gatherings we had, we were talking about the denomination. The denomination had over 12,000 churches. And in the course of that year, I forget which year it was, in the course of a, a uh, calendar year, they started seven churches. Denomination of over 12,000, they only started seven churches. And what Paul tells us in the text, so there's two things that we all can do with this. And there's, there's more than two things. But I think two reminders in, in this is, one is prayer. Starting new, ch new churches, it's the best way to reach people with the good news but it's really hard. He uses that word struggle. And so he says, pray. The other thing that he invites them to do is to assist. Like, how can we be in the game? We're starting a new church on the other side of town. How can we be in the game praying for Rosa Parks? Is God calling some of us to go and be part of that location so that more people can hear the good news? One of the things I love is being a part of the, our denomination. We're a denomination of under 1,000 churches. And last year, we planted north of 25 churches. Now, we want that to be higher and to get more, but that's great. We're in a, we're in a, a family of churches that support starting new churches because we know study after study shows it's the best way to reach people with the good news. Second thing is this. So a reminder of the mission of the church. We're going to come back to that again and again and again because if we don't, we forget. And if we don't, we, free, we replace with other things. The other thing I think this passage gives us is a, pr a perspective change. That we are all missionaries. Sometimes if you grew up in the church and you heard the word missionary, it was that person who shared the good news over there in that place, whatever it is across the world. But I think what Paul is saying to this group of people, he's saying stop fighting, join and live out the mission. That way of life that he had described in chapters 12 and 13 and 14 mainly. It's a missionary type of life. I would encourage you, go back and read those chapters. And if by God's grace and by the power of the Spirit, we can actually live that way, that we can pray for our enemies, that we can repay evil with good, that we can use our gifts to serve each other, that we can speak good of other people, all those things. It's a radical missionary type of life. And when we live that way, we will be living on mission right where we are and people will want to follow Jesus Christ. I promise you, we'll be doing our mission. We'll be connecting people to Jesus so they can connect Jesus to their world. But it's all about why we exist. 
which is connecting people to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love and your grace. God, and a reminder in this passage of why we do what we do. It's not to make us happy. It's, it's all the reasons that we could put out there, God. We do what we do because we want people to encounter a relationship with you. So God, we thank you for all that you've done. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the good news, God. In Jesus' name, amen.